Uh, you can show that last text because actually um, when he got healed, one of my other friends reached out because she got diagnosed with cancer. I was like, hey, healing is happening. Come. You know, and like so she actually texted me again and uh, she texted Tweed this time and she said, uh, absolutely huge breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough, things that I thought I had already been healed from. She has yet to go to the doctor uh, to see if her cancer is gone. And so we're going to maybe just take a moment as a congregation. We're just going to continue to pray for these two people. So, God, we just thank you for the healing you've done. Uh, thank you for Twee and Christy and just all the people here who believe and are grabbing a hold of your promise for healing. God, we ask for both of them. Um, the guy who's been suffering for, uh, I think, years, um, losing weight like this and, and struggling. Thank you for the breakthrough. We ask it co be complete and whole, that his body would be even better than it was before. We ask for uh, the woman, too, God. We ask that cancer would be gone in Jesus' name. We ask that even for our beloved sister, G, God. We just ask that uh, in this place that you would open the heavens, Father, and that you would heal and deliver in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I'm going to invite our speaker up for today as well, um, Becca, if you guys will stretch out your hand. Where's our MC? Do you want to do the, I I'll guess I'll, I'll just have to pray. We're already here. <clears throat> Jesus, thank you for Becca. Thank you for the word. We love your word. We find your word precious. It is our daily bread. It is life to us. Father, give us um, your heart today. God, we need your word. We are hungry. We are thirsty. Um, your word is daily our delight, and so we just ask you come right now through Becca, um, and that you would speak to all of us in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Priscilla, and thank you, ladies, for sharing. What an encouraging way to start the morning, huh? <laughs> like, I think we all need a little more uh, good news of what the Lord is doing and has done in the week and in the world. Um, so... I'm going to ask your forgiveness in advance because I know last week Priscilla covered multiple chapters, one of which was 1 Chronicles 16, and I'm going to double dip a little bit today because as we were going through it, I was like, man, like this is so good. Like I want to pull something out of it here that I feel like we um, really uh, don't want to miss. And so just as a quick refresher from last week, so last week Priscilla talked about how we, you know, in Ephesians 2... Um, it, it talks about how we are being built together into a dwelling place for God. And then we looked at David creating his tabernacle and setting up night and day worship and how that was one of the greatest foreshadowings that we've seen, you know, so far in the scriptures of what will it look like when God ultimately has his resting place of man, um, because he replicated on earth something that was happening in heaven um, and then one thing that really, I think, struck a lot of hearts um, was that we talked about the legacy of Saul versus the legacy of David in that passage where it says, for we did not seek it in the day of Saul. And just how convicting that is that we don't ever want that to be said of our lives. Um, so that being said, I want us to go ahead and read First Chronicles 16. So turn with me, if you will, to 1 Chronicles 16. All right, 1 Chronicles 16. 
They brought the ark of God and set it in the middle of the tent that David had pitched for it. Then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. After David finished offering the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of Adonai. He then distributed to everyone in Israel, man and woman alike, to each a loaf of bread, a date cake, and a raisin cake. He appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the Ark of Adonai to petition, to thank, and to praise Adonai, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief, and second to him were Zechariah, Jael, Shemiroth, Jehiel, Metatiah, Eliab, oh boy, here go the name again, Benaniah, Obed-Edom, and Jehiel. They were to play harps and lyres. Asaph was to sound the cymbals, and the priests, Benaniah and Jehaziel, were to blow trumpets continually before the Ark of the Covenant of God. On that day, David first appointed Asaph and his kinsmen to give thanks to Adonai. Give thanks to Adonai, call upon his name, make his deeds known among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wonderful acts, glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek Adonai rejoice. Seek Adonai in his strength, seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his signs and judgments of his mouth, O descendants of Israel, his servant, O sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is Adonai our God, his judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations that he made with Abraham, swore to Isaac, and confirmed in a decree with Jacob to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I give the land of Canaan as your allotted inheritance. When you were but few in number, very few and strangers in it, and wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another, he allowed no one to oppress them, but for their sake he reproved kings. Touch not my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. Sing to Adonai all the earth. Proclaim his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wondrous works among all peoples. For great is Adonai, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but Adonai made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. A strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to Adonai, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to Adonai glory and strength. Ascribe to Adonai the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship Adonai in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It will not be moved. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let them say among the nations, Adonai reigns. Let the sea roar and all that is in it. Let the field rejoice and all that is in it. Then the trees of the forest will sing for joy before Adonai, for he comes to judge the earth. Give thanks to Adonai, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Declare, save us, O God of our salvation. Gather us and rescue us from the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name, that we may glory in your praise. Blessed be Adonai, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praise Adonai. So David left Asaph and his kinsmen there before the Ark of the Covenant of Adonai to minister before the Ark continually according to each day's requirements, including Obed-Edom and his 68 kinsmen. Obed-Edom, son of Jeduthun and Hosa, were gatekeepers. Also, he left Zadok the Kohen and his fellow priests before the tabernacle of Adonai in the high place that was at Gibeon to offer burnt offerings to Adonai on the altar of burnt offering regularly morning and evening according to all that is written in the Torah of Adonai that he commanded Israel. Along with them were Haman and Jeduthun and the rest who were chosen, designated by name to give thanks to Adonai for his mercy endures forever. Haman and Jeduthun had trumpets and cymbals for music and other instruments for praising God. 
The sons of Jeduthun were to be at the gate. Then all the people departed, each one to his home, and David returned to bless his household. Amen and amen. Okay. Um, so just a, a couple things I want to pull out of this passage. So one of the reasons why it's interesting to look at what David did is that when you look at the legacy that David left when he created the tabernacle and, and prioritized the ark as the center of Israel, is David became the king that all subsequent kings were compared to. So you know how like, I don't know, some of you guys, maybe you have a sibling or a cousin or somebody in your family and your parents are like comparing you to like the cousin that went to Harvard or something. You're like, oh gosh, don't compare me to so-and-so. Like, please, like I can't hit that standard. But David was the, the standard of righteousness and what it looked like to love the Lord because of how he prioritized God's presence in the center of the nation. And so the kings following him it says of many of them, you know, whether they did good or bad based on whether they kind of walked in the ways of David and walked with the Lord the way that David did. Um, and it's interesting, too, because when you look at Israel's history, you see some of the kings that instated or reinstated worship in a similar fashion to what David set up, where they had um, these priests and these ministers set to worship God day and night um, without ceasing. And those periods were typically linked with periods of uh, revival in the nation. And then uh, you see after the exile that God made a way for the Jewish people to come back and rebuild the temple. And he uses Ezra um, and Nehemiah and, and many others. He moves on their hearts to rebuild it and and it's said of them uh, that they basically re set everything back up according to the directions of David. So they're, they're kind of copying David's model and what he did here in many ways. And, and there's something about that that God likes. And what's amazing about all of this is that if you guys remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about Uzzah and how Uzzah stretched out his hand to catch the ark. He's like, oh, no, don't let it hit the ground. And that's the end of Uzzah because he, they were not following the holy um, prescribed order that God had for carrying the ark. And so David, though, if you look at David, he is not following any order of anything someone has already done. Like he's doing something entirely new. The ark is now out like there's, you know, like, there's Gentiles coming around it. The nations that are going by Jerusalem can see that there's praise and worship happening around this thing. Um, he's not following it according to the pattern of the tabernacle of Moses, but God doesn't strike him dead. Like, so there's, there's an element of it that you see that like the Lord is so pleased with what David did. Um, and, and I think that one of the reasons for that is because David caught a glimpse of something that was happening in heaven, and he replicated it on earth. Um, so what, what I want to talk about today, though, is like, what does it look like to minister to God? Because like, and what, what was it that David actually set up in this tabernacle? Because typically, if we think about ministry, like if I say the word ministry, there's, I don't know, whatever 520 things that pop 
into your brain, right? Like maybe kids ministry or ministry to the homeless or ministry to the poor. Like when we think of the word ministry, like usually ministering to God is not always the first thing that pops into our brain. And even that phrase ministering to the Lord, like it just sounds kind of weird. It's like, what, what is that? What does it mean to minister to God? What does it look like for us to minister to him as a community, as individuals? Like, what does that even mean? And so the Hebrew word um, that's used in this context uh, for ministering to God, Sharath, it, it can mean to worship, to serve, or to wait on, but it's used in other contexts as well. So it talks about, a lot about priestly ministry when we're bringing sacrifices before God, but it also can be used, you know, like talking about Joshua, the servant or minister of Moses. It's the same word. So somebody who's waiting on another person, Elijah and Elisha, or Elisha serving Elijah, um, they're referred to as like, you know, the servant of or the minister of. They're being attentive to that person's needs. And so, and it can also talk about confessing iniquity or confessing the name of the Lord. So that just at least kind of helps me have a little bit of a frame of reference that when we come into God's presence, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be attentive to your needs. But here's the problem is that God doesn't actually have needs. Like we talked about this with David when, you know, in Psalm 132, you see this beautiful vow and this beautiful heart cry of David that he's like, I'm not going to rest until I build you a house. And God is essentially like, he's like, thanks. I really love your heart, but I actually don't need you to do this for me. Like, um, I know at least, you know, thinking about some of my family members as they get older, I can't buy a gift for any of them. Like Christmas time, I'm just like, oh gosh, like here we go, because I cannot get them something that they don't already have. Like they're at the point in their life, they've bought whatever they want to buy. Like whatever they don't have, it's because they don't want it. They don't want any more stuff in their house. But man, oh man, am I always surprised at the way that they value my time. Like that to me is I'm like, oh, that was free for me to give. Like didn't cost me anything. I didn't actually have to go out and get you something. But that gift of time like really goes a long way. Um, and so that's one little example because there's many things that we give to the Lord besides just our time. But, but what do you give someone who doesn't have need? And like, then the question goes not from just, well, what do you need? But what do you want? All right. So Looking at, um, I love the verse in First Chronicles 16, 4, because it talks about what David set people up to do. And I have just a few different translations up here, but the gist of it is he set people in place to petition, praise, thank. Different translations say different things as, you know, celebrate, record, commemorate. But the point is that you're praising and you're thanking the Lord and you're remembering what he's done. And I want to look at these other descriptions in this chapter. So 1 Chronicles 15 and 1 Chronicles 16, because it talks about a lot of different things that David is actually commanding them to do. And so when we look at this list, like I, I want you guys to actually think of the prayer room. Because when we come into the prayer room and we're ministering to God and we're like, all right, it's Wednesday morning. It's my time to be a gatekeeper or this or that or worship leader. Like, what are you doing as you're ministering to God? Um, and so I, I like that David here, he just lists, he kind of rattles off a couple of things in this chapter as he's commanding these people that he's putting into place 
around the Ark of the Covenant. Um, and so we're just going to read through this list here. I'm not going to explain everyone, but I just want to throw these out as ideas for us to consider. So he says, sanctify yourselves, joyfully make your voices heard. And he commands them to play different instruments, to blow the trumpets, call upon his name, make his deeds known, sing to him, tell of his wonderful acts, glory in his holy name, seek his face, remember the wonders he has done. Ascribe to him glory and strength. Bring an offering before him. Worship him in the splendor of holiness. It's interesting. There's also a little chunk that includes crying out for Israel's salvation. Fun fact. Um, and then, obviously, giving thanks to Adonai. And when I look at this list, like, I can't help but ask myself, like, huh, does my prayer life really look like this? Like, does, do I do these things? Like, am I, am I remembering the wonders he's done? Am I ascribing to him glory and strength? Am I worshiping him in the splendor of holiness? Um, and so it's, it's interesting that, like, what David instituted, like, it, it was extravagant in, his, in the resources that were poured into this as far as money that he paid people to do this, manpower. Like, if you guys imagine, you know, President Biden just calls up Daniel one day and is like, all right, Daniel, <laughs> I'm going to pay you. I just want you to sit here and sing and give thanks to God. That's all you have to do. Just give him thanks. That's it. Like, I'm going to pay you to do just that. Like, most of us would be like, hallelujah. Like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Forget my day job. <laughs> like, I'm stepping into the real the real deal here, right? But but that's how outrageous it is. Like, it's, we don't have a grid for what David did. Like, it's so foreign to our culture. Like, we're like, that's ridiculous that somebody would pay you to just sit there and thank God. Like, but that's actually what he commanded people to do. Um, and what I think I want to look at next is that this is not like something that is just old. Like the tabernacle of David is not just an old thing because God actually promises that he's going to revive it. But more importantly than that, if you look at what's happening in heaven, like the same thing is going on up there. Like that's not something that's going to ever stop. That's something that will always continually happen. Um, oh, sorry, I forgot about this slide. But I just, I love this, this verse in First uh, Chronicles 16, 41. It says um, that they were designated by name to give thanks to the Lord. And I just love thinking about that. Like when we come into this prayer room throughout the week, like are we like thinking like you, like Kim, you are designated by name to give thanks to the Lord because his mercy endures forever. Like I just think that's so precious. Um, but, but jumping into Revelation 4, so like what is, what is happening in heaven? Um, and we see these descriptions in Revelation 4 and 5 and other passages that basically the way that God set up his living room, so to speak, is that he's surrounded by other creatures. Some of us, like if we were God, there wouldn't be anybody else there. <laughs> like you would not have a single other person around you. You'd be like, nope, just me and the Lord. But like God has put other creatures and people and angels and saints from every tribe, tongue, nation around his throne to give him praise and glory. And Really, all they're doing up there is just holy, 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 and they're throwing down their crowns, and then they do it again, and they do it again, and they do it again, and um, 
you know, all of these, we get this picture in Revelation 5 that all of these angels are echoing the same sentiment. They're saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Um, and it's amazing that God, like, set things up in this way because he enjoys it. Sometimes I think it's interesting or it's easy in ministries. I've seen and heard some people be like, all right, we want revival, which is a good thing to want. But they're, they're like, we want revival. How are we going to get it? We're going to set up 24-7 prayer. And that's true. And that's right. Because when you look at when Israel did that, they did have revival most of the time. But this model that David set up is not just a means to an end. Like, it's what we're called to do forever. Like, it's not just something that we do to get a result from or do to get something out of the Lord. Like, it's actually what we're going to always be doing forever and ever. Um, and I love that the, just the thinking about how like we use music and we get to use music because God is musical. Like it says, uh, in Zephaniah that he sings over us. And I just think that's so beautiful. All right. So what is coming in the future? Uh, Amos 9-11, this should be a pretty familiar passage for all of us at this point, but um, there's prophecies that God will, in the, this is kind of given in the context of a time of trouble for Israel before God restores them. Um, he promises that he will rebuild the fallen tent of David as in the days of old, and we know that this has not been fulfilled just yet in fullness. Uh, we see a partial fulfillment in the book of Acts where James like is like, oh, the Gentiles are coming in. This is... We're like, it's happening. This is part of it, but we have not yet seen the fullness. As we also see in Malachi chapter one, verse 11 says, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations and in every place, every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations says the Lord of hosts. Well, what is this incense, right? Like there's actually, there's, plenty of places sometimes I'll like look at a I'll be like wandering around downtown or something and I'll look at a store and I'll be like oh that looks so cool and fun and then I'll go in and I'm just hit with this smell of incense and I'll be like I gotta get out of here right now <laughs> like this is no longer cool and fun because I realize they're like selling some things to worship some other things that are not God but what what does it mean that we're offering incense like are we literally just waving like this stick around with like this fun fragrance to him like um we get insight into this in, to Revelation 5 and also Revelation 8. Um, but it talks about how the incense, it's the prayers of the saints. So there's this picture that we're given in, in the prophets that God is going to have this incense going up all over the nations. Like he's going to have a pure offering in every single place. Um, so this is not something that, is just for David. It's something that we will forever be corporately uh, grafted into. And I, uh, last thing I just want to touch on here too is that we see this in the early church in the book of Acts. So in, um, in Acts 13, before Saul and Barnabas are set out to share the gospel with like the nations, like this changed the course of history, before they're set out, they're set out in the context of ministering to the Lord with fasting and with prayer. 
Um, some translations use the word worshiping instead of ministering. Uh, but the point is that they were, uh, they're coming before the Lord regularly in, in this way. Um, and we get a picture of that in Acts 2 because you see that this is post, like this is after Jesus has like done his thing. They're still meeting together in prayer. They're devoted to prayer. They're still uh, meeting together for worship and they're still uh, meeting in the temple. And so this is something that like the early church had a grid for like this is something that we do together and I think sometimes it's kind of easy to get this idea of like all right well I'm gonna have my quiet time with Jesus right and I'm all for that like please have more quiet time with the Lord please like dive into that more and more like it's a good thing but there's something different that like we see in the scriptures is that like people are coming together around him for the sake of remembering who he is what he's done praising him thanking him like, in a way that, like, you you can do that on your own, but it's different when we're called to come together and thank him and create this resting place for him where he feels welcomed and at home simply because he's worthy. And just, just like, you know, David, David's tabernacle was a testimony to the nations that would come through Jerusalem. They're going through their trade route from point A to point B. They see this continual worship in this tabernacle it's like what on earth is happening here we also like get to be a testimony to other people when they're like why are you spending cindy spends 20 hours a week in this room praying she does she spends 20 hours a week she could be spending 20 hours a week on like anything else but she spends 20 hours a week every week in this room praying and ministering to the lord and that's weird to people like, it's weird because we don't understand it yet, but it declares the worthiness of Jesus. Like, it is a testimony to the nations. And one day, like, he's going to have that response in every place. In every place, he'll have incense offered up to his name. And it's not because he needs it, but it's because, like, he likes it. And we get to offer it to him on this side of eternity and just come before him and be like, Jesus, you're worthy. You're just worthy because you're worthy. Like, it's not... Sometimes it has blessings and benefits, but it's not always unto something. Sometimes it's just because he's worthy. It's just to thank him and praise him for what he's done. All right. Um, I'm out of time. <laughs> so we'll wrap it up there. Um, but in our, in our response time, I think maybe we can just spend a few minutes just like asking God for grace to be able to grow in this sort of expression where like, you know, think of all, I'll probably go back to the slide where it lists like all the different ways that David commanded people who he instituted to minister to God. Um, let's ask God for grace to be able to like grow in that, like in our, in our daily walk and in our, our week to week lives. Um, yeah. So let's break off into groups of, uh, twos or threes around us and let's just pray that like God would give us grace to be able to do all of these things um, 